professionals here. We're very professional. What would you say you do here? Well, look, I already told you. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand that? Yeah. Did you see the memo about this? I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Andy Bell. You're listening to Relax. We're professionals. And I'm back today with my buddy, Steve-O. What's up, Steve? What is up, my man? It's been a long time. How have uh, you been? I've been I've been great, man. Well, uh, okay, that's an exaggeration. I've been pretty... I've been doing pretty well. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to, you know over exaggerate the situation you know it is what it is but things are things are going smoothly how have you been uh doing as well as we can you know it's a lot of uh a lot of adjusting and adapting to uh the past year man it, do you realize that we're just shy of 11 days of the one year anniversary of the whole world shutting down basically i uh, i did not think of it that way but yeah <laughs> Yeah, March 13th was that official, like, yo, let's call it. That was the day that things <laughs> closed, right? Yeah, like Friday, March 13th. Oh, Friday the 13th. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it was wild. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, everything closed, everything shut down. Uh, of course, the music industry stopped, um, and that's what, unfortunately, um, I've had a lot of conversations with folks about. Um, but you know, you are actually one of those folks now, uh, and you are pretty active in the music industry, uh, and you have been for a long mm -hmm. time. Um, we were talking earlier about how, I don't, did we figure out how long we've known each other? I have no idea. Uh, I gotta say, wait, when did you start with, uh, TDS? 2008 okay so maybe it was 2009 or 2008 when we were out with uh what was it freshman 15 and new county sounds familiar yeah there's been a I lot think of we hopped, <laughs> we hopped on this little tour i was tour managing uh new county and we were out with freshman 15 we met up in i think connecticut at uh the space that was the venue in Connecticut, yeah. Like New Haven, I think. I, I think so. But I I remember always hearing about the Dangerous Summer, loving the music, and then we hopped on this gig with you, and you and I would always just like um kick it with uh who was freshman fifty Mark. Mark uh Mark Stanfi, or, or I'm butchering his last name, but we would hang out with him uh, you know, in between sets. But that's I want to say it's been that long, and throughout the years we've we've just run into each other uh, with gigging, and yeah, in many different capacities, which has been <laughs> weird. So so back then, I mean, where what were you doing then? Were you in? A, were no, you, I was. A crew? Were you crew or or band? I don't even remember. I was crew at that time. Yeah. I was def I was crew at that time, um, just helping out uh, New County, and then uh, we were just. I think what was that right before we? What other tour we did? We did a couple other gigs, 
and um yeah it just it just grew from there that was like around the start of switching from like playing music myself to going into crew production tour managing and all that right right so you you when did you start playing then I started playing in bands probably in about 2004, 2005, I want to say. Always drums? Yeah, always drums. Um, Started when I was about 11, uh, just really hammered down on records, like locking myself in my room, playing drums for like six hours a day, just trying to learn techniques, which I'm still not good at, but... It's it's all about passion and dedication and just trying your hardest. And uh, what I've come to realize when I was playing is you don't have to be flashy and do all these crazy fills. Um, Sometimes, well, most of the times, less is more. Just make it look fun too. Like you don't have to do all these like stick tricks and crazy fills. Just be intimate. Show your passion through your playing. And yeah, I I I would agree. I mean, it's that stuff definitely uh, attracts some attention in some ways, but mm-hmm. the, the best drummers are, are usually the most just solid, you know, without the tricks. Um, like um, the original uh, Dangerous Summer drummer, Tyler. Tyler Minsberg, yeah, fantastic. Amazing Absolutely drummer. Absolutely ridiculous. But he wasn't super crazy, like, live. He just had a knack for finding the right sounds where they needed to be. I mean, Tyler is a still a great friend of mine. Uh, I see him all the time, and um, he he was like that, like that guy that everybody in the whole like county kind of knew as as the the best drummer. Uh, He's like, I'm kind of a big deal. He was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> everybody wanted him to be in their band. So Tyler was, you know, kind of like a local legend, and uh, yeah, he, he he could do some flashy stuff, but you know, oh yeah, he, he, he went to, to Berkeley, right? Uh, he had an offer to, um, ah, yeah. but he ended up touring right out of high school. Yeah. He was, he was phenomenal to watch every night. Oh yeah. He's, he's <laughs> such an entertaining drummer to watch play, you know? So, yeah. so wait, so what year did you graduate from high school then? Uh, Oh five. All right. So 2005 you graduated. And by that time when you graduated, you were you know, like playing in bands and then, yeah, we were doing like warp tour, um, skate and surf, uh, just small regional tours, stuff like that. Um, just really not trying to make it a career per se. We were actually just trying to have more fun with it because uh, we would have friends that would be in like bigger bands and like growing up playing with uh, or like having conversations with artists that I've known growing up. It's so easy to burn out real quick when you stop having fun playing music. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard when you're at a certain level to motivate yourself to drive, you know, that eight and a half hours to that show in Arkansas for $100 <laughs> that you know no one is going to go to, but you have to oh, go. No. You know, it's you it's part of that you have to pay your dues you have to do those horrible horrible shows um in the worst venues uh it's it builds a lot of character you know like if you ever played smiling moose in pittsburgh and you had to bring an eight by ten up 
like oh those stairs se- 700 stairs yeah <sighs> my back still right. hurts at the thought of it yeah that place uh there's a place called underworld in uh i think it was montreal uh i don't know there uh, sneaky pete's there's there's a bunch of places that <laughs> y- you had to you had to lug things in and it, it made you really appreciate like well-designed venues like oh my god you have ramps like i don't have to i don't have to carry this up flights of stairs uh once once you're able to have like crew to help you do it instead of just the band members just do it all themselves that was probably like the okay i think we sort of made it like oh yeah let's let's keep it going guys when you're advancing a show and part of your advance is is local (laughs) crew uh, to or local hands, you know, whatever terminology, mm-hmm. uh, that's the best feeling. And I mean, <laughs> it's it's never gonna be somebody that you want to pick up anything expensive, though. Which is the that's the bummer. It's always like some. It's always like two high school kids. That's why we got insurance, baby. And they got you know they have they're just wearing t shirts that say staff. And so I got I, I got know. a little question for you on this because. We've both been up on basically along the same path uh, in the industry, you know? Right. So when you started advancing your more um, well-budgeted tours, do you remember your first catering experience? Uh, like As in like correctly fulfilled rider experience yes yes i do i not know. the not the yeah we're just gonna give you some uh tostito chips and some salsa and like this little veggie platter like yeah when you actually had your fulfilled rider yeah yeah here's here's uh here's 10 little caesar's pizzas for you and the whole <laughs> package <laughs> uh no i definitely remember the first the first time it was properly filled with every single item, it was all correct. And uh, I, I, it's funny thinking about it because I never thought about it before. You know, after it happened, <laughs> until you just brought it up. But, um, but in in Atlanta, um, we were playing at the Masquerade, and we were playing. Uh, we. That's what it was. We were playing uh, in in hell on Easter, which is really funny. Uh, because, <laughs> so if you don't, you know, obviously for anybody that doesn't know, the masquerade in Atlanta, uh, it's gone now, unfortunately, uh, uh, or or moved R-I-P. or something like that. But the original building's not there. It used to be some it, like an old cotton factory, uh, and it had three, in the hood. <laughs> it was awesome though. I mean, it had three. It had three venues in it: heaven, hell, and purgatory. And uh, hell and purgatory were both downstairs, and heaven was upstairs, and that was like Do you remember a that fourteen hundred super scary, uh, like makeshift freight elevator. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> or or uh, in in the um, the office was like at the top of the building. Like you went upstairs, and then there was another set of narrow stairs that went even further <laughs> up. Like you didn't, I didn't even know where I was when I was settling. I, it was like an old, tiny wooden room. But uh, the masquerade <laughs> definitely haunted. Uh, but they, they, yeah, they fulfilled my 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 first 
rider where I was like, holy shit, like this is actually what was written down. And they got all of it. I got to say for the masquerade being a venue that, you know, looks sort of out of place and kind of, uh, you, you judge the book by its cover basically when you showed up. But once you got to meet the crew there, um, everyone was very nice, super helpful, uh, helped take care of a lot of the equipment. They were just really, really nice. They, they cared about all the entertainment that was coming through. Oh, yeah. And, and they had the same people that worked with that venue forever. I mean, Renee was the, the guy who ran all... He was the production manager. And then uh, Greg Green would would be booking at least all the shows that we did there. Um, they were always awesome to us, and they, they took really good care of us. So that was... Yeah, I missed that place. Favorite, that was my favorite. One of my... Well, definitely one of my, my favorite venues of, of all time. Oh, man. Just memories flooding back just from good times. And then going to uh, Five Points for uh, some pre-show foods and burgers and pizza. Yeah, man. I mean, every, every venue has kind of those places around it that uh, you, you remember to go to every time. And then there's, like, all the cliche stuff. Like, when every, every band, like, the first time they go to... They've the first time they play at uh, Soma, they go to Sombrero. Yep. You know, just I mean, yeah, I get it. Well, just because, so. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, but every <laughs> they, every band always makes like a point to do it, and it's it's. I mean, we did it, of course. Um, it's just a thing; it's a rite of passage. But I think you know, that was a that was an important part of uh of our generation, early two thousands. You know, speaking of, um. In the early 2000s, you know, right around when we were graduating high school, there was what I like to refer to as the uh, the great drum explosion uh, or custom drum explosion, um, <laughs> which, uh, you know, you had all those companies. You had like SJC and Truth and CNC. Shine. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had. Yeah. There were t- Maple Works was on. Um, oh, yeah. Tyler played for SJC and briefly for, for, for Maple Works, but uh, that that kit uh, was the bane of my existence on, on tour. <laughs> it, uh, it was the worst, it was the worst kit I've ever, I'm not even a drummer. I was I was just teching and, and, and everything at that time, but setting it up was just horrible. It was, it was such okay. junk. Okay, no, no, no. Uh, let, me, let me raise you one on this one. Setting up Lord Mangus's kit, that big blue satin flame monster, uh, that yes. was a pain to set up. Well, um, it, there's a difference between a complicated setup like Ben Cato's, <laughs> which you're talking about, who <laughs> is basically has like Neil Pert set up. Um, there's a difference between that and then literally like the this like Tyler played like the simplest. It was like two. It was like Buddy Rich, like two toms. A snare, but the kick, uh, one of the legs wasn't, um, it wasn't like in the right spot, so it constantly was sliding around. It was, <laughs> it was junk. But anyways, I bring all of this up to to point out that you yourself have uh, been participating in the uh, drum explosion, 
with your company, Dark Horse Percussion. Yeah. Uh, well, what's real fun about the uh, the drum industry is, uh, especially Dark Horse, it's been around since 1996. Uh, started off in a basement with the original founder, uh, Anthony Cardinella, and his father in the basement, just uh, churning out drums. And what's also great is that they worked with Mike and everybody at over SJC and used to get parts for them and do some of the finishing for them. I came into the scene with Dark Horse in about 2006, getting a kit and a couple of loners and, and all that. And I started playing their drums. I absolutely fell in love with their kits because I used to play on Orange Counties. Um, I was on Shine. Um, I still have, uh, when I was out with Halifax, uh, Tommy gave me both his Shine and Truth kits. So I still even have those kits now to this day. And I love them. It was like this Gucci print kit. And then another one was like a mustardy like Burberry kit. <laughs> Absolutely. They sound phenomenal and they look awesome. Um, but I started in 2006 with Dark Horse because they were a local jersey company. And I was like, let me play a local company. Absolutely fell in love with them. Um, with the customization of everything from wood plies, color, uh, wraps, painted finishes, acrylics, lights, everything that you know that was basically imaginable at the time, I had the option of of getting, and it was awesome. And the guys were super cool. So fast forward after 2006 and playing there for a couple of years, I started doing sales. You know, being on the road, uh, playing, and then also working in production talking to other drummers, having them come on board, getting better known artists to actually come and play the drum company. Uh, they asked me, hey, do you want to do artist relations? I was like, hell yeah. I love the company. You know, we're churning out some really good drums. We're start our roster is getting bigger and bigger. Um, why not? I love this. This is amazing. So fast forward a couple of years. Um the founder sells it to Chris Thatcher, who is the drummer of Streetlight Manifesto. And it's him and one other guy. And I'm still there helping out. I'm not touring anymore at this this time. And I'm helping out with office work. I'm learning how to build more um, and having a great time. You know, I'm, I'm close with Chris Thatcher and the Streetlight team, uh, helping doing some drum teching for them, uh, production work whenever they need it. Uh, just a, a big whole family. I love them. And a couple of years later, Chris is winding down from touring, wants to focus more on his family. And I get the opportunity to be a, an owner. And it was the founder, myself, and two other artist relations guys that ended up buying back the company. <laughs> it's it's a... The way that I look at it is it's coming from playing a company where anybody can can basically do is if you have the passion to drive the skill to play and be backed by a company, sticking with them through highs and lows, believing in it, to one day owning the company. And now I own the company by myself. I build everything. I handle the website, I handle all the emails, phone calls, everything. 
you have a question for Dark Horse Percussion, it goes directly to me. There's no, hey, let me get your A&R rep uh, to uh, take care of this for you. Expect a call back in 24, 48 hours. No, it comes to me. I'll answer as quick as I can. Yeah, and you really do too. I mean, you're you're probably like the the fastest responder to <laughs> to anything uh, <laughs> that I know. Like, it, I already see you like typing a response. I'm not even done. <laughs> yeah, and you and I have texted in the middle of the night, and I was just like, "Oh, yeah, let me get back to Andy." I'm like, "Why the fuck are you responding to me at like 4 a.m.?" But like, hey, you know, it's, <laughs> you're doing it. But it's such an amazing story, man. I mean, that I think I, I mean I've seen a lot of the kits that you've you've built, um, and I I'm like one of those guys where I mean I'm a bass player, but I love drums. I love like listening to drummers. I'm I'm big on like drum history and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I'm always fascinated by it. And I I had a really cool SJC kit that I parted ways with. Um, a, a few years back, but uh, it wasn't a custom. It was a series kit, so yeah. As long as there were many, like whether it. <laughs> it's whether it's custom or a series kit, as long as you can make it sound good and you feel comfortable with it, that's all that really matters. I I couldn't make it. Well, I mean, in a studio setting, I could make it sound good, but playing it, it did not sound good because I I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible drummer. Um, but no, you're not a terrible drummer. You just uh, haven't unlocked the potential. Yeah, the potential's locked, and the key is gone. <laughs> Uh, for me to to be a good drummer, so um, you know, with all that, I mean, with all, all the companies kind of mixed in, you know, making different drums, and you know, a lot of them have been, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of them have actually been helping out each other, you know, with different parts um, mm-hmm. of the of the building process. But um, are you using like most other people? Are you using you know Keller shells and then? moving from we there have, we have keller options um but it's it's not only about using keller shells or uh steam bent shells acrylics um brass copper steel it's it's all about especially when it comes to wood and let's say let's use keller for example it's the pl- the wood ply configuration and also what type of wood that you use as your standard. Like company A can use all six ply shells for everything, you know, rack toms, snares, and and kicks. But we have a specific configuration that we think, and for the most part, gives off the best sound, in our opinion, that's more well-rounded. You know, um, like it, it's the configuration is makes a world of a difference. You know, sometimes you want uh, a thinner tom to shine and cut through, have that brightness, and you want a thicker ply kick drum to really get that oomph, to really accentuate the warmth and those tonal qualities of the kick drum to really punch through and give that boom. Like it's, it takes a lot to hone in on tonal qualities of those configurations. Like for me, I'm a nerd. I will read up on different types of woods, how many plies can give you this sound range. Like if you give me a record 
and say, hey, I want to get a kit that sounds like this. Yeah, we can make that from what maybe you've read online, but I'll go and I'll reach out to the studio, find out exactly what kit, take out all the compression, let's figure out the sounds that's coming from each drum and get you those configurations. Now we take that and then say, hey, all right, you wanted a 2020 kick, but on this record, it's actually a 2220. At these plies, it sounds a little bit more compressed or, or gated on the uh, record, but this is what they use to get that. And you have the potential of getting that. It's different from what you originally asked. So what I do is I, I do more of like consulting before somebody actually puts down and gets their kit because I want to make sure that they get the exact kit sound that they've always wanted. Not just something that looks cool, that has like lights and all these different cutouts and whatnot, because you're making an investment in your sound. You have to have the sound that you want, not something that just looks awesome. So it goes far beyond just, you know, Keller shell options. You have a lot of, I mean, you can see so technically, I mean, you could, you can make drums out of almost anything, right? Uh, just about. Depends on the, I guess, how much pressure that, that the material can take. What, I can make it. What's the most expensive wood you can make it out of? Um, Hold on, I'm going to Google expensive wood. Can you make it out uh, of Babingo wood? Yeah, we can make Babingo uh, kits. Nice. The problem with that is that they're very porous, so... No matter how small or big you make that drum, it's going to sound slushy, like have too much thump, like over, uh, un, you can't control that, that slushy sound, like too much thump in each drum. If you want it to sing, I feel my personal opinion is that it's going to sound too dead. All right. Well, I guess that kills my dreams of a Babinga <laughs> wood kit. Um, if if you want like a fat sounding snare, let's go ten ply, babinga, fourteen by eight. Is that one you got a little bit of range because you could tune it high and low, and it's still gonna sound fat, but the pitch is where it's gonna make a huge difference. Are we talking like overweight? Or are we talking obese? You know. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go obese because you can you can really get a big sound out of a 14-8 a babinga. That, so I would be, one, you know, uh, nonsense aside, one, one, <laughs> one snare that would be awesome to recreate because they're impossible to find is that Vinnie Paul Pearl snare, which I think is a 14-8. Uh, the Vinnie Paul, I think, is a 13-8 and with uh, wood hoops. No way, metal hoops. I had one. It had spikes Which? on it. Oh, okay. It had, it had yeah. a snakeskin wrap. Yes, the pearl. Okay. That, I believe. It's an 814. I Googled it. It is an 814? Yeah. I'm Come thinking on, of a man. Dark Horse then. Percussion is really <laughs> slipping right now. Slipping hard, man. Vinnie Paul would not be happy. Uh, I wish I had any Paul Fuels around still. I wish I still had that snare. I had one of those. It was awesome. I used it on everything. 
It's it's the best. I think it's what it, uh, Paramore used on Riot, and that's why I bought it. <laughs> I remember that's that. A, it's a good sounding snare. That yeah. record, actually, um, it sounds insane. I got to show you some of the um, the stem files of that, that record. I would love to hear some of the stem files. Uh, I like hearing uh stem files from a lot of records even stuff i don't like it's just interesting you know to to hear that um speaking of you know dark horse who's uh who's on the roster right now who are your artists uh we're really pushing era which is alex blue uh super insane uh technical drummer um we also have rx bandits the sounds of animals fighting uh, which is C. Gak, who also has his own uh, solo project, which is more of a electronica live drum sounds, uh, which is actually really really good. I, I personally was not as uh, how do I say, not sure of how it was going to sound. Optimistic, but I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I I listened to it and I'm like, well, hot damn! All right, C. Gak's getting down. He's getting groovy with this. I'm totally in. So whenever he has like releases, I always try to promote it as much as possible because like it's something different from what we normally hear. Like you ever when you're traveling or anything, you guys always have like the same playlist or so, like every so song like a certain amount of songs styles that you listen to. And every once in a while on the 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 uh the mix something random comes on and you're like, Oh, all right, this is a breath this is a Breath of fresh air over here. Like that's that's what this was. And I, I really enjoy it. Seagax solo material is awesome. Um another artist that we have is Ryan Paolilli of Keonashi. And Keonashi is I think by far one of the hardest, most truest bands ever. They don't stick to the cookie cutter, like hardcore uh, band like frame, but they just keep it true, honest. Those guys are extremely accessible. Like you can always have a conversation with them, uh, hit them up on the DMs or just email them. Super hardworking band. Uh, and Ryan, who also does drum lessons, is an insane drummer extremely technical always challenging himself which is one thing that i really admire about him is because he pushes the envelope every single time um we've got a a bunch of different artists at uh darkhorsepercussion.com i try to feature as many artists as possible from up and coming to world touring artists because anybody who plays dark horse percussion plays them because they believe in the company and I believe in them as well. You know, they have to show the talent. They have to show the, the passion, the drive. And that's how we get that conversation going. Yeah. When I, when I first heard of, uh, Kayanashi, uh, because they're on, um, uh, equal vision, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when I first heard of them, I was like, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was like a band from, like Japan or something that <laughs> that like had a, has a deal in Eagle Vision and I, I I was checking it out I was like oh shit this is a hardcore band and um 
they, I remember thinking like, this kind of sounds like Dillinger's Gate Plan a little bit. And uh, yeah. they're, they're great musicians. I, I really like that band and it's cool. I didn't, I didn't know the relation um, uh, between them and, and, and you, which is, is cool to find out. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're an incredible uh, group uh, and also just incredible individuals, super passionate about, about bringing awareness to things that we kind of oversee on a daily basis also. Not to get like preachy or anything, but they're just very passionate about making a difference, not only in the music industry, but in their immediate surroundings as well. You know, they they try to raise awareness, raise fun, do fundraisers, things of that nature. Like they're really just good hearted people that put out phenomenal music. So are your are you hooking these guys up with with kit? Are you, I mean, do they get kits? Or are you giving them like little discounts? I'm putting we're you working, on blast live. We're, we're we're working on a on a kit idea for uh, Payo for this next uh, record release. Will he have to it's pay for it? Not all of it. <laughs> There's certain things that that my man wants that we gotta we gotta cut a little cheese on. So, but. I do work with uh, some of our artists in that capacity. So for everybody listening, uh, Steve has uh, graciously decided to donate a kit for one lucky listener. Custom. (laughs) Delivered. To you in the continental United States. How about this? I will do... A one color satin stain, 14 by six and a half, 10 ply snare with triple flange hoops, full length tube lugs for somebody that gets the most retweets of this podcast. Damn. What's the, what's the MSRP value on that? That's it's a few hundred bones guys yeah it's a it's a few hundred bones but you know what it's it'll go to somebody that's really passionate about not only your podcast but drums and that really wants it damn and they'll I, work hard for it i just turned a joke into like a big expense for you i'm sorry but <laughs> no you know what it'll be fun and i think this is something that we need especially in these times you know it it wholeheartedly taken as a joke but think about the bigger picture on how happy somebody would be if they got that if they put in just a little bit of effort to really show that they wanted this and once they finally receive it how happy they'll be so wait what do, what do they have to do? do they are you're gonna so i don't i mean i don't really tweet we don't tweet we're more instagram so do you want to do you want to tweet? And they re, uh, they retweet you? You know what? Yeah, let's go that way. What's the yeah, what's the what's the avenue here? How do how are they get being scored? All right. So, let's do clarify the once, terms. Once once this podcast is released, we'll obviously tweet the link, 
But whomever gets the most retweets in the comments on Twitter, and I'll post it on Twitter, which is at Dark Horse Drums, and we'll gauge it from there. We'll give it about, let's say, two weeks from the date of release to count the tally. And, and we'll yes, and the tweet will have to have we'll, we will have to specify a an official end time when yes. <laughs> when 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 uh when they will be tallied. Yeah, and wow. you know what? It's it's going to be fun because it's it's been a tough year. Let's put it that way. It and has. if somebody can win something to bring them joy and actually give them the accessibility to practice because maybe this person may not have a kit or a snare or something that sounds good this can open up that door their creative door maybe they're just really good at getting retweets you know we'll see what happens maybe (laughs) we're just gonna get a whole bunch of influencers just like retweet the hell out of this that that'd be great they can make (laughs) they can make a tiktok dance or something i don't know how that works I'm 32. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't really understand how all that works. But hey, you know what? That's an amazing offer. Uh, everybody, Dark Horse Drums, correct? Yeah, on at, Twitter on at Twitter. Dark Horse Drums, and Instagram would be at Dark Horse Percussion. Dark Horse Percussion on Instagram. Man, that is awesome, <laughs> dude! Thank you so much. That that's that's one of the coolest things so far that I've had a guest offer. Um, it is my absolute pleasure. I I'm honored. So you've obviously, I mean, how? Be honest. How many kits are do, do you own? Because I know. Shout out to my 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 buddy Vic, uh, Vic Chan. He owns. I don't know how many kits, but he has so many kits. Every time I see pictures of like his his space, there's just full kits in the back. And like I understand, it's kind of the same thing with the guitar players. I mean, looking around right now, there's there's four guitars slash basses on the wall. <laughs> but like, how many how many full kits do you own? I have about six, and I have the original God. 1975 touring and recording kit. Oh really? Yeah. Like the band 1975 or the yep. year? Okay. Yep. <laughs> the band. That's sick, man. Wow. Yeah, that's one of my favorite kits. I actually have it at uh, my buddy Mike Lisa's studio, who plays for Hidden in Plain View. Uh, he's got it there over at the studio, so bands that go and record can actually get those sounds. Wow, man, that's that's awesome. I mean, our what what of your have you built all of your kits other than well, well I mean have you built which kits of yours have you built obviously you didn't build the 90, 1975 kit right so oh I built that one what that was yeah that was back in about 2010 had to be around then yeah yeah it was about 2010 and we had two kits going out to them one in the UK one uh here when they did their first club tour and we were doing a uh, South by Southwest. South by, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun 
touring around in the Sprinter with when, all the gear. And nobody knew who the 1975 were. No, during and South towards by. the well, towards the end of that run, not the South by run, but after because they were continuing on a club tour. Uh, we ended. Well, I think uh, something happened with the weather that we had to cancel a date in New York City. We played Pittsburgh, and then we had to go back to New York City because we rented out uh, Santos Party House, and we played a gig there, like a makeup gig that we had to book in like two days and it sold out in like half an hour. And that was, I believe the official day that they upstreamed. And shortly after that, they were getting huge tour offers and just skyrocketed like chocolate took off and it was just straight up to the moon for those guys. That's wild, man. It's, yeah. it's it's crazy how far a lot of these bands have come. I mean, even thinking about in, uh, you know, even a couple of years ago, like Band Camino, you know, they exploded. And uh, the track that they put out recently was, uh, I, I didn't know until uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny Minardi uh, posted about it that uh, Tom Lord Alge mixed it, which... Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Uh, Whoa! Hold the you, phone. If you get Tom, or, <laughs> Tom or Chris or Alex to mix your your track, I mean that's that's like radio. You know, that's that's huge. You know, that's like a certified bop from the get go. I mean, I remember in 2006 learning that like. He it was he's he charged like ten grand a song to mix, uh, so I don't know. I mean, he he was doing like every every like radio rock band, you know, before mm -hmm. before we had more of like the the pop alternative that we have now. He was doing like 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 Chevelle and like Three Days Grace, you know, like <laughs> like you know the bands that you would hear on the radio, uh, or the bands it, that you hear. Alien uh, selling their selling their records at like 2 a.m. Call now for their CD at two low payments of uh, $7.95. Oh, Do you yeah, know what CD band I, I figured out? Yeah, CD plugs. Uh, Medina Lake was the first one I think I ever saw where they <laughs> sold their record through a commercial. I think I woke up in the middle of the night and it was on, I believe, MTV that they had that commercial. And I just remember it. I was like, why is this band on a barge in a lake? And then <laughs> it was just a commercial. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how they used to sell music that way. Like the good old days. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, if you can call it that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, out of out of all the all the uh out of all the drums that you've built, you know, over all all this time, you know, you've been doing this for longer than I've been doing anything. Uh what's what's like the coolest kit you remember building? And don't uh, be, don't just default and be like, oh the 1975 kit, because we already talked about that, so it's not even interesting. I think <laughs> it was Dylan Taylor's kit who played for Cute is what we aim for. 
building this oh yeah they love those age age white marine pearl kit with this gold inlay on the center with some led lights with wood hoops and it just looked classy with a touch of being a little too flashy but the configuration on that kit just sounded phenomenal like not even mic'd up it would fill a room and just sound so warm and then once it got mic'd up and soundtrack eq'd it was like just butter just straight up butter one of my favorite sounding kits did you like the way it looked too it i i teared up once i saw it on stage for the first time under lights i will wholeheartedly admit almost shed a tear i got a little glassy eyed and i was like <gasps> that looks great and wait it sounds amazing <laughs> like i was standing next to chris thatcher from streetlight we were watching at warp tour uh cuz that year i uh streetlight was playing too and we went to go watch Cute as what we aim for play, and we're supporting Dylan and all the dudes. And because we stressed, like the day that they were leaving for Warp Tour was the day that we finished building that kit. Like Dylan came in and helped us put all the screws together, actually helped build this kit because he was supposed to leave like two days later, but his flight and everything got pushed up. So we had to like scramble to get it all done and just like rush it out. So he he was an active part of that, and um, he was super stoked because he, he's he's building his dream kit, and we're all a part of it. And to finally see it on the stage, hearing it, watching it, and it just—I remember just giving a high five to Thatcher and just being like, "Yo, we did this, we did it," because we were stressed out, but it just sounded so good. So that's got to be like the rewarding moment then. Uh, you know that's that's the payoff is when you see the kid on stage you hear it sounds great looks great you know all the work paid off that i think would come second from the initial first glance of the the drummer seeing the kit fully done never mind you know what front of house and everybody hears or sees but when the drummer first unboxes or comes and picks up their kit that initial reaction is really what makes it worth it because it was just an idea, a thought in their head. And we put it together. We made sure it sounds good. It looks good and is able to be beaten on the road. And we made that happen. We made that dream come true for somebody. Yeah. That's gotta be a awesome feeling, man. I don't, I've never, uh, I've never made an instrument, so I don't, I don't know what that would be like. But it seems, from afar, it seems like it would be, it would be awesome. Because I mean, I've been there, obviously, when, you know, the guys have picked up their, their custom things or had things delivered. And it's like, oh my god, this is great. So I can only imagine what it would be like to be, you know, the person that that actually, you know, made it. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. That feeling never gets old. And it could be as something as small as just a snare, a side snare, or a full kit. But that reaction is what really makes it worth it for me. Like, I'm, I'm a guy that's 
pretty selfless. Like I, I like doing things for other people more than I like doing it for myself. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I'll always worry about other people, make sure like, hey, you good? You good? Or like when we're doing gigs, I'll be like, yo, you you want a water? You good? I know you're busy right now, but I'll get you a water if you need it. <laughs> things of that nature. Like, or you ever go to a gig and like your inner TM comes out when you see something's not going right? Uh, and you just kind of spring into action. Yeah. I, I mean, it happens in real life all the time too. It's, <laughs> it's usually why I, I ignore uh, people that are like guarding doors and just, just kind of walk through. <laughs> like if you look like you're mad and you're, you're going to be inconvenienced by them, they kind of assume you're supposed to go back there. That's what I've, I've figured out. Um, yeah. So right now, I mean, or it, it could be currently, or it could be of all time. Do you have Do you have a favorite drummer? Do you have one that you know you could listen to play or watch play, you know, for hours and be entertained? Um, that's a really good question. Um, hmm. Honestly, I think I would really love to watch Seagak play again. From uh, our expandits, Sound of, An- of Animals Fighting. Because that guy has a, a great come up history in the drum world. He's self taught, but can play these funky time signatures, get real mathematical on you, and voice it through the drums. And it just fits so well. And Matt and, and Choi, like those guys know their instrument they know the sounds that they want to project and seagag just fits perfectly into there just like locks in the pocket and can get get a little wild on it too he, he's just f- a phenomenal player like i can visualize in my head the what he's going to play but visually watching it it's like how are you doing that that's not the way you're supposed to do it, but it sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's like inhuman sometimes the way that, <laughs> that you see some people play. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen this this kid before, um, but I, I came across his videos. His name is uh, Grayson Nekrutman, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to butcher his last name, but I've, I've seen it, and he's playing the... Uh, the Whiplash um, song, and that dude just plays it note for note. I mean, he plays the Buddy Rich Impossible solo note for note. He He's one of the most talented drummers I've I've ever seen. If anybody wants to check him out on Instagram, he posts all the time. It's uh, G-R-E-Y-S-O-N underscore N-E-K-R-U-T-M-A-N Grayson underscore Necrutman. Um, he's... He plays for Pearl, Minel, Vic Firth, Remo. Um, I mean, he's he's killing it, and uh, he's like eighteen. Yeah, he's a, he's a kid, man. He, he's so good. It's it's he, it's uh, you know amazing. he loves his craft. He absolutely does. He's an he's very inspiring. I've talked to him a few times. Um, really really cool guy. Um, and uh, he's got he's got an inspiring story, you know, of, of how he got into this and. A lot of changes he made personally in his life, even though he's so young. A lot of he's he's done 
a lot that I'm hoping, um, you know, to get him on here. Uh, and, and maybe he'll, he'll be able to tell that story, but yeah, uh, everybody should definitely check him out. I'd Um, love to hear that story. Me too. I I would love to hear, well, I mean, I know, I know, you know, bits and pieces of, but I'd love to hear, you know, the full, the full thing, you know, as, as told by him now, um, you know, I'm not gonna, because, because of all of, uh, (laughs) because, because of everything, you know, over the last year, you know, the other part of, of your life has definitely been impacted. Um, you know, you're, you're a a part of the phenomenon of, of, of emo night. Um, as I, and as I said, and as you know, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna take, there's, there's two, two emo nights and they're divided. Uh, there's emo night LA and emo night Brooklyn. I think one spells it with a N I T E and one is G H T. Right. Yes. Um, and it's like this, this like Bloods and Crips thing where you guys uh, seemingly really don't like each other. Um, but personally, <laughs> for me, none of that matters. Like I've gone to Emonite LA shows, run into some of the dudes and everything, and like we're cordial, we're fine. It's a, I don't fully understand what the big hoopla is. For me, we're just all trying to have fun. That's yeah. it. We're trying to create a an atmosphere of just nostalgic times, having a great time. Some people like certain extremes. Some people just want to be mellowed out and just chill. But for me, it's all about just overall a good time. And that's what I think that both do. And it's really funny because like, you you obviously have seen, you know, the tweets, the Instagram posts and all this stuff. It's it's like two sides of a coin. Like completely different um I guess like demeanors. Yeah, but, it's it's really funny because I mean, you know, <laughs> for for you know, what emo night is, it, it it's essentially like it, it is a DJ set for pop punk. Um and it's like a club night pop punk thing which originally uh it, it was a thing that was really popular in the uk it's mm-hmm. definitely not like a, an original thing here um no but um you know the concept of calling it emo night whatever and the branding and everything that's definitely new um but the what's funny is that there's there's like rivalries <laughs> it's not rivalries between bands is rival rivalries between two different groups of people that want to play other people's music and it's the same songs. (laughs) So it's like, and in completely different territories, which also doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I I mean, I don't care. I've been involved in both. I've been to both. uh, And I've, (laughs) I've purposefully worn uh, my emo night Brooklyn denim jacket that they, they gave us (laughs) uh, to an LA show and was, was, (laughs) was <laughs> was definitely uh, spoken to about it. So uh, I, I I personally spoken to about it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I was I was uh, a word a word was exchanged or, or, or two. But uh, I I think it's really funny because um, everyone's just trying to have fun, like you were saying. You know. Yeah, I I take it with a grain of salt because it's 
it's just about having fun for me personally. Um, I just love being out on the road and, and having these parties with everybody and enjoying the time, you know, reliving the past as, as we want to call it. You know, we want to play these songs and not think about, you know, the regular nine to five that we have to do now. We want to play these songs and think about, you know, what time we're going to get out of class so we can go hang out with our friends or we're going to go drive around with the windows down screaming these songs. Like that's that kind of feeling, the energy that we want to bring to people and just create that safe, inviting atmosphere, that party vibe that you really can't get anywhere else. And how have you been able to keep the party vibe going, you know, through the lack of, you know, ability to do live shows? So personally for me, uh, I actually used to do sort of an emo night in real person like years ago in like local bars. And it was called This Is Emo. So when the whole shutdown happened, all of our shows got postponed. You know, everybody's thinking, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks. And we had a call. We had a group call with our DJs and everybody. And we're like, okay, two weeks, we'll be back. You know, let's not sweat it. You know, we'll, we'll be back soon to have fun with everyone. And everybody's like, cool. I already started doing the This Is Emo on Twitch just because one of my friends was like, hey, man, you should probably do something, you know, like a live stream or something like through Zoom or like even Twitch. And I was like, Twitch, what the what is Twitch? So I looked it up. You know, I had some uh, equipment because I also have a photo booth company. So I have cameras, I have lighting, I have green screens, I have all this other stuff. And I was giving it a shot. I had like my old MacBook and, you know, gave it a shot there. And surprisingly, a good amount of people were coming in and were just having a great time. And I did it for a couple of hours and it was really taking off. And people were asking by the time I was about to end, like, hey, are you going to do this again? Like, when are you going to do this? And I started doing it every Friday night about March 7th of last year is when I officially started doing it on Twitch. And I believe on the 10th is when we had our meeting. And I was just like, yo, I think we should look into live streaming. And they're like, no, nah, two weeks, we're good. We're, we're going to be right back at it. Lo and behold, it's nearly a year later, and we've had to resort to going on Twitch, um, working with specific venues to do their live streams, um, Instagram Live, some TikToks, things of that nature, because we want to engage people. It, my my thought process was, let me keep doing this on Twitch because it gives something, somebody to do, like, I'm tripping over my own words, is it gives people something to do rather than just be at home Netflixing. I think that when I do it on Twitch, it brings back that nostalgic vibe, not only because of the music, but it kind of feels like the old AOL chat rooms because I can read all your comments, your questions in real time and talk to you while the music's playing, which is a bit different than being at a live show. 
because I can barely hear the crowd if they're going to ask me for a song request or something. On Twitch, I can read it, queue up my song, and just have a good time. Another thing that I do is I've had the absolute pleasure of having some guests join the stream. Not only do they perform, but we actually do more of a Q&A session with the stream chat room. And we also involve them in like a video conference with fans so that they can have that one-on-one relationship. Ask them the question directly that you won't get anywhere else. It's true. Yeah, we've had um, Mason Musso. We've had Mark Rose of Spitalfield. Um, We've had um, Heath Saracino of uh, Midtown and Census Fail. And from those few guests, we've actually received a few emails to uh, bring back some of the uh, what's called the uh, neon emo scene (laughs) bands that want to come on and be interviewed. Oh God. Yeah. The neon scene. Oh yeah. Don't, and I'm, I'm actually pretty stoked on it. <laughs> what? You mean you weren't wearing headbands? I was not. <laughs> no. What? You weren't dressed in American apparel? No. Uh, no. I mean American apparel. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I still wear American apparel t-shirts, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I think I mean, my I wasn't, all-time uh, favorite outfit was, Hot Topic skinny jeans with my red American Apparel hoodie, my super deep gray V-neck with my... You better be saying rainbows flip-flops because that's, that's, the, that's the footwear for that outfit. No, 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 no. See, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pair it with those because I don't like feet. So I would never be caught without regular sneaks. I would wear my uh, Nike Dunks that had like neon colors on them oh like, S- like S- very S- yeah like very very forever the sickest kids music video style yeah you were like uh you could have been wearing like a bape hoodie you know <laughs> you would have been with the kids called crunk back in the day right? oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah i was just missing the chain oh god uh I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you can still you can still buy these wares, uh, probably at weird places like Hot Topic, but that's where you got <laughs> yeah, that's where you got band shirts back in the day. So that's you know that's how it is, probably still. Actually, what's really funny, I find band shirts when I go thrifting, and that sounds like an old person thing to do, but thrifting is actually a lot of fun. I I a lot of people say that I'm. I last time I went into a thrift store, it just smelled weird, and I don't like that. And that made me feel like I'm just like sifting through other people's <laughs> trash. So I was like, ah, uh, it's. And it, it felt like going over to somebody's messy house, and there. It depends just, on where you're going. And they're like, pick out some thrift. stuff. I'll I'll sell it to you for a nickel. And you're like, I don't need this old, dirty, <laughs> you know, lit T-shirt. But you could also find like really good musical equipment that people have just gotten rid of. And not that the thrift stores really know what they are. Like I've found uh, like drum pads, microphones, 
all in like really good condition for like less than 20 bucks. Like sure, Sennheiser stuff, Roland, under 20 bucks. Yeah, it's it's crazy uh, when places don't really know what they have and they put things up for sale. Because I bought a whole wire, like a Sennheiser wireless system that should have been like three grand. Like a church was selling it for like four hundred dollars because they that is a steal. Well, they said they're like, yeah, we we uh, we use it a couple times and it doesn't turn on anymore. And the I knew that it was just going to be like, oh, it's probably just batteries and corrosion. That's all it was. So brush that out and bam, uh, that worked out <laughs> really well. <laughs> um, but you know, it is what it is, and and that's you know. That's all I have to say about that. So, yeah, I would say give it another <laughs> shot, you know, and and pick the right places to go. Mm. That's that's a big thing. I'm 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 on the opposite end right now. I'm trying to get rid of things. I don't I don't need any more junk. <laughs> I, I, I have too much of it. But anyways, um, you know, to uh, to kind of round things out you know a couple a couple more uh brief you know questions for you more just geared to you personally um sure man you know so once this is all behind us what's the first thing you, you're gonna do what do you what are you anxious to do that you haven't been able to i am actually really excited to throw a party with like some friends yeah and just like really enjoy time together. Nothing like a crazy rager or anything. Just like a let's, you know, I want to cook. I want to, you know, put some good music on, have a movie also playing, like, and just get a group of good friends, you know, even out of state friends, just hang out together because that's something that we didn't realize that we took for granted until we weren't able to. I agree. And I think that's what I miss the most is I, I like cooking. So I love cooking meals for people that I care about because for me, it's like an extension of me trying to nourish you, make sure that you're good, that you have energy to do whatever you need to do to tackle the night, the next day, whatever it is. Like I love cooking because it's about love, care, and just being meticulous in in the ingredients. Like I don't want to just you know, give you some chef boy ID and call it a night. You know, I want to marinate some steak for like a day or two, make some, uh, you know, like a nice salad, like a fresh salad, um, hand mashed potatoes. Always that that's, that's what I like to do. If it's a five minute meal, it's like, I don't care if it takes me, you know, a few hours to make it. That's because I care and I want you to be nourished and well fed. Like that's a part of like the party that I want to put together is just enjoy each other's company. Uh, yeah, man. Like they would say in uh, in Rocket Power, aloha to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was such a good show. <laughs> it was such a good show. I think Tito said that. I think that was that guy's name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man. So tell everybody where they can find you once again. Um, you know, on, on all the socials. Oh, there's so many socials to list. You can mainly find me at Steve O and J across all social media platforms. Uh, 
You can find me at thisisemo.com, usually every Friday night at uh, 9.45 doing an emo pop punk stream. Sometimes we got a couple of special guests popping in. Or once everything opens up, you'll find me at Emo Night Brooklyn live gigs at a city near you. And you go to emonightbk.com for all of that. And if you're a musician, more specifically a drummer, and you're looking for some custom drums, darkhorsepercussion.com. All socials are listed there, and my email is right there. And remember, we have a snare up yes. for grabs. So we're gonna we're gonna be doing a giveaway for a snare, and we're gonna we're gonna post the details that have been summarized <laughs> throughout the podcast, <laughs> uh, and uh, look out for that. Um, Steve, thanks again, man. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Dude, I, I'm so happy that we we got to do this. Um, I love listening to your podcast because they're they're just so they're not like normal interviews or normal podcasts. Like this is more in depth. Like if you would have came out with a couple of like hidden gems of me, like you're almost I want to say Nardwar level. Oh no, that's too. That's I wish I, I aspire to be at that level. Yeah, I, I need I need some kind of like FBI level intel. <laughs> <laughs> he is scary good. So you, you <laughs> so you grew up on thirty one oh eight. Like whoa, all right. I don't know why you know that, um, but no, he's 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 a legend. I I hope to be that you know one day. Not not that, but you know at, you know at that level. Of, of, I would of love to post. see. You two interview each other. He would freak me out, man. I I don't I don't I also don't <laughs> think I also don't think I'm the I'm like his uh his demographic. I'm not famous enough or at all rather, you know, for him to want to interview me ever. So we'll see we'll see what happens in the future, but you know, fingers crossed. But um thanks again, buddy. Uh everybody, thank you for listening and uh Once again, my name is Andy Bell. This has been Relax. We're professionals. Relax. We're professionals here. We're very professional. What would you say you do here? Look, I already told you. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. Can't you understand that? Did you see the memo about this? I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo.